You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa, and Porama. Hello, listeners. This is Anissa. This episode is a little special sneak preview of what we've been doing on Patreon. So recently we started um, something that we've been calling The Lone Yak, which are solo sort of uh, bonus episodes, mini episodes um, that we've been sharing each of us individually on the Patreon page. And we thought this would be a nice opportunity to share a few of those with y'all. Um, as always, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, you can support us at patreon.com slash dramas over flowers. We really appreciate it, and it helps us to keep this podcast going. In these three lone yaks, you will hear Saya ponder on the um, experience of changing one's name and evolving as a person while being in the public eye. You will hear Parama talk about indefensible fandom defenses, as she puts it so succinctly. Um, And you'll hear a little midpoint review of Crash Course in Romance from me. Enjoy. Hi, hello, it's Khadija, aka Sire. One day I will stop appending that. Um, But I guess that's the topic today um, of this... It's a lone yak now. You've heard of the long yak. You've heard of the spoiled yak. This is the lone yak. The one where you sit here talking at the wall, imagining that somebody's listening to you. <laughs> uh, yes, don't mind me. I'm just a little loopy from being alone too much, but also not enough. Is that a thing? I don't know. You tell me. Okay, what I wanted to talk about is names. names and transitioning identities in public while people watch you like growing up in front of the camera that kind of thing like did you guys know that Namdaram was on military service um because I didn't know that for a really long time he's actually already been in for a year and he's coming out pretty soon um and my sister and I were talking about this and she was saying um well, she was the one who first told me, and then she was like, once he comes out, he'll finally be able to do the roles that he's been wanting to do. And if you guys follow, like, even casually sort of see him popping up in dramas, he hasn't been getting... I don't know, like, if this is how he chose to do it or if it was about the availability of roles, but breaking out of um, high school student characters hasn't really happened for him except in really small bit parts. Like, he turned up, was it in uh, today's webtoon or something to do with webtoons as the webtoon artist? Um, And, like, he's great in whatever he does. He's great even when he's unconscious in a coma for most of the drama. Um, If you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. The drama that I had been telling Boromir to watch for years and then she finally did and she was like why didn't you tell me I did tell you wench (laughs) anyway so that drama is beautiful world just in case anyone else wants to come for me and say why didn't you tell me (laughs) I've told you watch it so yeah I mean like it's not just names right or like names are a big part of it like for Namdaram it's 
changing the way people see you or asking to be and not just him but like for example any child actor transitioning into adult roles like the person I can think of who has done it really quite seamlessly I think is probably Yojingu and maybe his voice helps I don't know like it gives him the air of being much older than he is because he's had adult roles before I felt he was old enough to carry them um but like you know his basement voice gives a kind of automatic gravitas to him that maybe is less easy for other um sweeter voiced actors um and the other thing i was thinking about is bts <laughs> i don't know why i feel embarrassed every time i mention them i feel like it's something that the moment I mention it, everyone will be like, oh god, there she goes again. But like, nobody's actually doing that. And also, I don't mention it to people who I believe would not understand. <laughs> so maybe it's just my own internalized anti-boy bandedness-ism. <laughs> Is that even a thing? I don't know. Anyway, so, you know, when they debuted and stuff, they were all pretty much in their if not entirely in their teens and just emerged from their teens. Um, but certainly while they were trainees, they were in their teens. And so you have this sort of period where they have spent quite a few years having their personas contained within a crafted uh, facade, right? Like, you're meant to be this type, and you're meant to be this type, and you're meant to be that type. And so it takes a while to, I guess, build up your street credit or your legitimacy as a, as a performer, as an idol, to be able to be given the leeway to sort of be a bit more yourself. And I think, like, I don't even need to say it, like, they've achieved that and they've been themselves for a very long time and may they continue to be themselves for a very long time um but there is that aspect of like especially at that age that you do change like you're experiencing new things you're thinking new thoughts you are becoming an adult and just what really gets me about coming to bts this late is that there's this like 10 year body of work like there's there's a log of their existence over that period and to sort of be able to take that all in in one chunk is very different to starting at the beginning and moving through these stages with people right so like if I want to like I can see who they are now but I can also see who they were 10 years ago what they were saying 10 years ago what they were doing in all of those um different epochs of their career and inevitably, you know, they are not the polished young men that they are today. And even today, they are, you know, they're themselves. They're just, you know, full of the many different aspects of being a human. Like, they have their polished performing side. They have their diplomatic public speaking side. They have their in-house in bro energy which is and these are all different parts of the same people right so one of the things i find really interesting for example with um namjoon rm the leader is that he when he debuted his stage name rm for rap monster but at a point 
that didn't fit anymore and he didn't just sort of make a decision to abandon it. It was actually something that he spoke about. Like, this was how I perceived of myself at that time, but it doesn't fit me anymore. So I'm not like, I'm going to put this away. And I think that's one of the great things about being around for such a long time is that you not only do you evolve, but you sort of, there are things you fold up and put away the same way that you, you know, when you, like when you're a kid and you're like, you grow six inches and you can no longer wear the coat that you wore when you were like a half a foot shorter. You just put these things away uh, and you move along and you go on to the next thing. So it's not, there's an organicity to this growth. Like you, you expect and you need and you hope that people will change in this way, but it's also something that is quite, um, I don't know what the right word is like I don't want to say like fascinating or interesting or like these cold words or or even heartwarming because that's not really the thing it's just like there's something very human about watching people decide who they're going to be and because this is what you do right you make conscious decisions about the kind of character traits you want to cultivate and you work towards that as a goal you don't accidentally become somebody you decide to become somebody right and i think with bts these are i mean for example with rm these are conscious choices he has thought deeply he's reflected about these things and you know you pick a direction and you keep moving and it's not just him you know all of the members are going through this in different ways but the way that it reflects in how you choose to name yourself, I find very interesting. Um, IU recently said that she was going to stop using her real name and instead sort of consolidate all of her activities under her stage name, which is IU. And everyone knows who IU is. But like what she offered was that even though she didn't have a problem using her real name, which um, is Ejian, right? <laughs> I might have got that wrong. I'm not going to check it. Okay, I'm going to check it. Okay, yeah, Ejian. She's like, well, nobody really knows who Ejian is. And at the end of the day, in terms of promoting your work, she's a musician and she's an actress. I mean, mainly she also, of course, does other things in between. But people, like the, the brand recognizability is important, right? And if she continued to use those two names, it weakened her brand recognizability, but it also just didn't make sense uh, to her thinking to forcibly divide these things when they actually do much better when you bring them together. And, you know, for some people that choice goes in the other direction, they'll abandon the stage name and use the real name. And I just found that an interesting... Um, reverse on the usual direction that you see. And then I thought of Pak Sojun, whose real name is Pak Yonggyu. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't know that until I was watching Friendcation, was it last summer? And his uh, friend, Peak Boy, who's been friends with him since middle school, just, and this doesn't come up in the subs or anything, I just heard it. He was like, oh, they were waking up and he was like, oh, Yonggyu, yeah. And then you're like, oh, <laughs> Is that his name? <laughs> and then I went and looked it up and I was like, ha, huh, interesting. And of course, people have stage names for all sorts of different reasons. But um, just names are interesting, right? Maybe. Yeah. And I suppose my own mini conclusion to that is, I don't think I'll be abandoning Saya anytime soon. 
because like all of the work that I've done in like the K-drama fanosphere has been under that name and although I no longer have that same sort of paranoia is that the word (laughs) about using my real name and I've become much more comfortable with slip-ups and just you know it's fine if people know my name (laughs) but I'm also in that odd stage where if I do abandon my pen name I'm not sure that I can gather the same momentum as I have with that identity by using my real name and that's more work than it's worth so we're just going to proceed like this (laughs) Uh, I had more things to say but I don't remember what they were I'll leave it here bye then oh and like you if you have more than one name you may use those names in different spheres like I have also a middle name which only my family use and I don't want other people to use it (laughs) I don't even tell them it it's like my secret private name And then other times you're a little bit sad that there's no one else in the world who'll call you by that name. Um, Names are complicated, right? If you read fantasy much, you'll know that names are very important in, like, magic. So whenever I think about it, I always think to myself, ah, the old naming magic. Like, when you know something's true name gives you power over them. And so you have to keep your true name secret. (laughs) I, I, I don't know if you read fantasy novels or not but it's a thing um as i say i don't like believe believe in it like that but i do believe in the there is a figurative power that you give people when you tell them your name it's why even when i'm at work i don't like people knowing my name when they ask me point blank because i can't lie about it i just want to be like why are you asking me my name how dare you and then you go away and you think about it and you're like they just asked you your name it's like literally the most common question in the universe uh yeah so that's probably me and my own strange relationship with names i'm curious if you guys have any thoughts about this like do you have different names that you've used in different places do you have names that you don't want other people to know Do you use names to represent certain identities? Oh, another example that I was thinking of was fantasy author Robin Hobb, who I think Robin Hobb isn't even her real name, um, even though that's her most famous pen name. But she also has another pen name, Megan Lindholm, under which she writes a very different genre. Like, that's more sci-fi. And Robin Hobb is more fantasy. But neither of those names are actually her real names. Which I always found a little bit amusing. Um, but cool. Like, if you can do it, why not? Okay, I will leave it here. Because this is quite long enough. Thank you very much and goodbye. Hello, hello. I'm back. Okay, so today we're we'll talking about, uh, as briefly as I can, um, Something that I, and you probably, um, because we both exist in the fandom, have noticed comes up in discussions of dramas that people love a lot. Um, (laughs) There are two things, actually. Two uh, things that are said when people just want other people to not 
get too analytical. <laughs> um, and also, it's not always said with like um, any kind of aggressive, malicious um, vibe. It's um, it's something that said like with by perfectly you know, nice, reasonable, good people. I'm not talking about like good versus evil here. These are just normal folks who maybe don't want you to come too hard <laughs> at the thing that they are enjoying. And um, while recognizing that these people are perfectly nice and good and, you know, reasonable human being, most likely um, in their own lives, I just want to briefly talk about the logic behind these two defenses. So let's go with number one. It's not that deep. You don't have to analyze everything. This is not worth so much analysis. Now, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to say that I don't want to analyze this. I don't think it's too deep. I think it's perfectly fine to just leave this one be and not dig too deep. I don't have any problem with that line of thinking. If you personally don't think that something merits analysis and you're perfectly happy to just let it uh, pass by without comment, that is a personal choice. I champion, I think, my, and my cat thinks, because he just jumped up uh, right on my desk. <laughs> that you have every right to say that. And I have said that uh, at times. Nothing against this way of uh, approaching Ramaland. But the moment you say it to somebody else, don't analyze this. Don't think too hard on it. You really don't have to go too deep. That's a problem. Because now what you're trying to do is uh, stop any analysis at all of uh, something that you want to let pass. And that's not right, uh, dear friends. Because um, if you are a political person at all, you would have often noticed that um, people of certain politics really, really don't like analysis in that they would go pretty far um, in supporting government uh, suppression of too much analysis in the media, especially in the journalistic uh, circle. Um, and I mean substantial analysis and not like analysis of uh, actors cheating scandals. Uh, that's a, a vein of analysis that I think should exist in the world because all analysis should exist in the world. But. Um, I'm fine with the government suppressing that. That that but I would not, I would not say no. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean that. I, I genuinely think it doesn't matter if you think the other person's um, dissection of something is silly or that they are spending way too much obsessing over something that is completely superficial and not too deep, as they say. Everything is and should be open to analysis from cartoons to politics. It's a very human thing to notice patterns and also ask questions. And it's also one of the best things about human society, the ability to ask why 
and also to point at two supposedly dissimilar things and see similarities. We have made a lot of progress because of our ability to do that. So yeah, let's not, let's not tell people ever to not analyze something. Let's not tell them that it's not that deep. Let's not tell them to, uh, you know, stop. Let's not do that. Cool if I don't do it. I don't analyze a lot of things, but uh, not cool to tell other people not to do it. Okay, the other fandom mm, defense is if you don't like it, go watch something else. Why? Why should you have to go watch something else? You want the media that you're watching right now to be better. That's not a bad thing. When I hear a defense like this, I also look at the larger world and hear, maybe leave the country if you don't like the politics of this country. I hear phrases like this often in my own country, where concerned citizens are told by other citizens to just leave the country if they don't like the politics. And uh, I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing, but I'm saying it comes from the same place. Fandoms work very similarly, whether the thing you're a huge devoted fan of is drama land or your country's government. Nothing wrong with being fans of either, but it would be nice if you're open to conversation and critique, even if it's critique that you don't like to hear and kind of wish that people wouldn't just focus on all of the negatives in your fandom. Why not focus um, on all of the positives? And, and while it's a good thing to want there to be positivity in the space that you love and want to protect the thing that you love, in this case, drama land and specific dramas in drama land, we should be open to the idea that the other person watching has just as much claim on the drama that we love. And so if they are watching it and they are seeing things that is bothering them, they have the right to speak up. And we don't have the right to stop them. We don't have the right to say, go away if you don't like this thing. You are only allowed to watch this thing if you like it. I mean, think about it. That's, you would never say that to anyone. You're only allowed to watch this if you like it. That's the direct flip of go away if you don't like it. First of all, I would never know if I like it or not if I don't watch it. And um, are you telling me that I should just abandon um, watching something the moment I get a hint of something I don't like? My dear, sincere friend, um, I don't think you realize how much that would harm drama land. If people stopped watching stuff the moment they didn't like something that came up on screen, uh, nobody would get past episode one of anything. 
the way we get past these things is because we always hope that the story addresses a problem or that uh, whatever we didn't like just doesn't come up again uh, in the story. That's how a majority of uh, drama lovers, domestically or internationally, watch substantial portions of these stories. You may be harming the thing that you love when you ask people to just like stop watching if you don't like something. And again, I understand the desire to protect the space where you find your happiness. But it's maybe also our responsibility to allow other people their space to express themselves because they want Dramaland to improve. Every time we critique a storyline is us expressing the hope that next time uh, Dramaland does better. And it's probably because of the critique that we have voiced um, that Dramaland has changed as much as it has from, think of the early 2000s, even the early 2010s to now. If you have watched dramas for any amount of time, you have seen how substantially tropes have changed. And if you guys have existed in early drama beans, then you have noticed how a lot of the dramas that were defended very passionately at that time and people were told to go away if they didn't like something, um, have tropes that were critiqued back then that no, like that would just not be used these days. There were a lot of coercion tropes back then. Forceful kisses, you know, forcefully pinning a woman against a bed, against a wall. Um, just a lot of like dominance tropes that a lot of the fandom really enjoyed. And again, I'm not critiquing enjoyment, but the moment they turned and told other people to not voice their objections to those scenes, they crossed the line. But thankfully, Dramaland heard the critique and over time, things have improved. So, yeah. Today was my day to stand on the soapbox. I really wanted to get my thoughts out there. And uh, that's it. This is, again, uh, longer than voice note diaries usually are. But Saya uh, last week set a precedent where we are doing longer voice note diaries now uh, if the muse strikes us. And uh, so therefore, uh, Saya and Anissa, you can't complain. Um, precedence has been set and it's not my fault I wasn't the one who set it okay bye guys hello friends this is Anissa um I'm traveling so I haven't been watching a ton of dramas but I did just finish Crash Course in Romance episode 8 so I thought maybe I'll talk about that um, I don't know. I was telling these two, um, Barman and Lita, I was telling them that I don't have a ton to say about the show. I just really like it. Like, it's one of those really lovely, um, viewing experiences where you just love the people that you're supposed to love and hate the people that you're supposed to hate. And I, I mean, I really, really like, I mean, Jun Doyan is, is always great and, and she's good here too, but 
Jung Kenko is just so, he's just so good. He's just so sincere. He's so, um, bichara, we would say in Urdu. Like he's very, like you feel bad for him. He's a little pathetic in a, not in a, um, a way where you think he's a loser, but he just, he's just very like, you know, he need, he's lonely. He needs some taking care of. He has insomnia, which I'm like, yes, I, I relate. There's, there's sad things in his life that make him, I mean, a lot of time, you, you know, like you get introduced to him in the beginning and you think, okay, this is just the same old, like extremely successful perfect male lead who just has this shiny life. He's rich. He's, you know, popular. He, he's a star. Um, and he is all of those things. But then you kind of see more behind, you know, what's behind that. And that that's kind of his uh, work face, you know, that, that upbeat, you know, extremely charismatic. Like then when he's not like on for work, he's just a, a really nice man. <laughs> um, and I think like that at, at the root, him being this really decent person who like, I mean, he, he kind of keeps his distance from his students because, you know, we find out what happened in the past, but like he genuinely really sincerely cares about them. Like he's not, um, I think in the past we've seen these, te- you know, like Hagwan tutor or teacher characters who are really like in it for the money and then you kind of see them contrasted against like these you know very sincere hardworking, um underappreciated like school teachers but they're doing something interesting here where like the school teachers are there um and there's definitely like a dynamic of like the school teachers versus the hagwan because like structurally that's just you know, there's a there's a certainly um, an interplay between you know the 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 school itself and then the the the, the Hagwans, the academies and like who who can attend those and how much labor it takes you know from the parents to actually get their kids in. I mean that's all very interesting and it says a lot about like class and you know um, gender and this very interesting dynamic but at the same time he's not like automatically the money grubbing villain character because he runs this profitable academy it it does show you how he is actually benefiting his students um i don't know anything about math um but i have it on good authority that the math is actually <laughs> real math so i mean i mean it would have to be um in a country where the the Sunang, the test so important, they would definitely have to use real math. Um, but I just really like him and I really like the Nam family. Um, I, I really love the daughter. Hey, she is, this actress is, um, amazing. I saw her, she played also a role in the anthology series, Our Blues. She had the, um, I guess I shouldn't spoil her storyline, but her storyline was very, um, it required a lot, uh, you know, despite her playing a high school character, it was a performance that required her to do a lot of different things. Um, and it was a difficult performance and she knocked it out of the park. This girl is so charismatic. I don't know how old she is, but 
um, it's my first time seeing her. Like this year is the first time I've seen her in anything in these two dramas. And she just, well, I guess our blues was last year. Anyway, as, as her mom says, anyway, um, me and my sister start saying that to each other, by the way, John Doyon's anyway. Um, but yeah, she is so good. And I really love her dynamic with her mom. Um, and the, and just their little, little family. I was a little bit like, I didn't know what to think of the autistic character at first because I was like, okay, we have this, you know, autistic younger brother who's almost becoming a trope character at this point with, you know, um, and the, and the way they treat him is kind of, I was conflicted because on one hand she's kind of short with him sometimes and she like, smacks him a little harder than seems necessary in what in you know that like sort of tough love mom kind of way um and I'm like on one hand I'm like okay you know she's just treating him like her brother and he is just a member of the family like they don't exclude him they they treat him like he's one of you know like so in that sense I was like okay that's good but then on the other hand I'm like well eh. Is that like problematic? But as you, you know, like in the beginning, I was a little iffy about the treatment of that character because there were times where he would just be repeating things because that's what he does and she would get like really mad at him or like, you know, yell at him and stuff. Um, but as the more I've seen of the show, I mean, setting aside the fact that like it's always better if you can get someone who. Um, you know, is autistic to play an autistic character. Although, of course, I don't know whether the um, the, the actor himself. I, I've only seen him in other roles, but I don't know if he's neuroatypical or not. But um, I do really like how they kind of show how you know the family takes an interest in what he's interested in, and they're very like patient with some of the things that he does that are like you know not not typical or or others might find difficult to deal with um so on the whole i think it's treated with love but i don't know i just thought i would bring that up because it it there were some moments where it made me feel uncomfortable um i do really like his his relation his developing relationship with tia like he calls tia young very cute um that there's like this okay now I'm just gonna talk spoilers because I just finished chapter eight uh episode eight why am I talking about it like a book um, I just finished episode eight and there's that scene where like he leaves the recital and goes and because he hears um Hang Sun get hurt over the phone when he's ta- answering a question for A so he leaves the piano recital with like the hot pianist from the wealthy family and he runs over to their house and um, he joins their chicken night and watches the tiger documentary. Um, and there's this, this one moment where he um, folds back the arm, the sleeve of, oh, I can't remember the younger brother's name, but the younger brother's sleeve so it doesn't get dirty. And it's just such a sweet moment. And it's like, it's so like, he doesn't make a big deal out. He just like quietly like folds his sleeve back and then he starts eating. Um, I think that's what I like so much about Chiel is that he is very 
good, but he's very low key about it, and he doesn't make a big deal about. Because a lot of times, you know, we get these male lead characters who are extremely wealthy, and they have a lot of social, like a high social position and a lot of power in whatever you know company they're leading or whatever job. I mean, they're in a position of authority usually, and so they will. When they come across the heroine, once they start to like the heroine, they will do all of these things to make her life better. And he is doing that here, right? He is doing, you know, like he buys the building, he becomes her new taste. So over the top, by the way, so over the top, buys air conditioners for everyone in the building so she won't find out that it's only for her and her family. But like he's doing all of these things, but it's like, he doesn't want her to know and it's like very low-key whereas like and that's usually something that the second lead does usually the male lead if he's very rich and powerful will like do it openly will want to be praised for it will act like it's a big deal even though he's so rich that none of this really means anything to him right and he's only doing it because he likes her so I liked I liked that I like that about him he's not ostentatious about his kind acts towards other people he just does it and he's like embarrassed if someone points it out and I really love that um yeah I I think what else can I say except that the the hagwon moms are terrifying and I hate them (laughs) um and it's ridiculous to me that like they've hired a that this woman has hired a private investigator to follow around this teacher, I'm just like, they already kicked Hay out of this program that she earned. And like, what gets me about these moms is that like, the only reason that they feel like, oh, A, it's just the entitlement of, of feeling like that top spot belongs to your own kid. And if someone else takes it, then it's like an insult to your family's lineage um, and a cause for revenge, um, which is ridiculous. Only one kid can be in the top spot. Like, come on, there's hundreds of students. It does not belong to you. Anyway, uh, anyway, the thing that really gets my goat is that if Hay was rich um, and she came from like a quote unquote normal family with like a mom and a dad from a, you know, a well-off upper middle class background, they would not have any problem with her being in that class. But because she's, you know, the daughter of a side dish store owner um and like her dad is not in the picture i guess um it it's like bothers them because she, they they see that her and her mom as like beneath them and so how dare she like have the gall to be in the same class like it's just so classist anyway so those are my thoughts so far on Crash Course in Romance. I do think it's interesting that because, because, you know, like we're at the end of episode eight is like, um, Sua's mom is, she's showed up in front of the store and she's like about to confront them. I'm assuming about the fact that I don't know what she thinks is going on, but you know, they're meeting without her permission. <laughs> Apparently she, she needs to approve of everything this man does. This man who has nothing to do with her except the fact that he teaches her daughter. Anyway, this is happening at the end of episode eight of a 16 episode drama. Usually at the end of the episode eight, we get either a kiss or a confession. 
Um, but here, because he is not, as far as he's concerned, she's a married woman, which like, ugh, please, best friend, what are you doing? Her best friend annoys me. Anyway, and her, her fashion sense is terrible. I love the actress, but the fashion sense, no. Um, but anyway, since her friend has started this rumor that her husband is in the Philippines, he thinks that she's married. So he can't confess to her and still be the hero in this situation, which creates some, you know, some nice angsty moments like, you know, her, her, her love being rejected, love that she does not actually consciously, you know, acknowledge. But anyway, she clearly she's interested in him, but like that whole scene where she brings the food and her food gets pushed aside in favor of this like fancy, the fancy tarts from the fancy tart. No, no, she's not a fancy tart. She's a very respectable pianist, lovely lady. But anyway, she brought fancy egg tarts. Um, and so that was like a nice little symbolism. You know, we love those kind of moments. A lot is said, nothing is said, but so much is said. Um, but it's interesting to me that like at this halfway point, it's this secret that they've been keeping that is going to be exposed rather than the secret of their feelings being shared with each other. Um, and I think, but it's very much in keeping with like how low key the romance is in this. Like there's no real conflict here. They've liked each other. I mean, once the whole like phone thief misunderstanding was cleared up, they've liked each other from the beginning. Like there's no real conflict between them getting together. Like clearly once the misunderstanding about her being married is cleared up, they're going to get together. Maybe there'll be some like external interference from people who think that she's quote unquote, not worthy of him puke. Um, but, but they don't have any reason to like, I mean, they're magnets slowly moving in each other's direction. So the real conflict is really this like backstory um, and the, you know, whatever murder plot is going on that we've, you know, seen hints of throughout this thing. And then, you know, whatever he needs to resolve with, you know, the whatever scandal is going to be concocted by the people that want to take him down. And I was also wanting to bring up, I mean, I still need to watch the rest of the drama, so I guess I'll talk about this later once I've seen it. Um, but I've seen a lot of people who are like mad about the murder plot, and I'm just like curious to know why. Um, we've kind of known this was a murder rom-com from the beginning. Like it's very clear, I think from the end of episode two, that it's going to be like, that there's going to be some kind of mystery and there's going to be violence, you know? Um, and I think this is a legitimate genre at this point, the murder romance, which um, I'm, I'm in the midst of writing an essay about the murder rom-com as a, as a new genre. So uh, look out for that whenever I finish it. It's like half written in my notes app. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I think a lot of us want just a pure romance when it comes to a rom-com but I think we have also have been asking for like um non-toxic healthy unproblematic relationships 
in which case you cannot sustain 16 episodes of story. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, you need to have some kind of conflict. And so if the conflict isn't coming from the internal dynamics of these two people who, if they're very lovely, nice, respectful people who, like, you know, respect each other's boundaries and treat each other well, there's a limit to how long you can keep them from falling in love. I mean, there's if it's just a rom-com, I mean, obviously, if it's like a thriller or a family drama, like there's other things happening. But I understand why the murder rom-com has become a thing. It's like a romantic suspense novel, right? Like that's kind of a similar similar thing. I mean, if, you, if you've read like romance novels that are in that romantic suspense category, you know, like with the, it, it's not quite the same thing, but it's the same concept, right? Like rather than the conflict being between the couple or the obstacle to them getting together being between the couple in terms of like, you know, a difference in class or like a clash in personalities or like a really bad uh, first meeting where one of them, you know, does something horrible to the other one and they start off really on the wrong foot. Like if you don't do any of that, um, and like, you know, his mom didn't kill her dad or, you know, like there has to be something. Um, so if you don't have any of that, if there's no birth secret. That means that, you know, they're wildly, you know, unmatched in status and their families are never going to go for it. Like if you don't do any of that mukjang type stuff, um, then you can have a murderer that's out to, you know, kill one of them and they have to, you know, run away from the bad guys and have adrenaline and near misses where they can clutch each other and, and their hearts can beat fast and they can wonder whether it's because of their feelings or because if they're scared. <laughs> anyway, I am kind of jet lagged and this was very rambly, so I apologize. Um, but I love Crash Course in Romance so far and I'm really excited to see where it goes. Excited? No, this this is not one of those dramas that really actually brings excitement it's more like a warm and lovely feeling which I like which is what I need right now because I'm on a very very much needed vacation after a very long time and I can do with the warm and comforting vibes that's what I need so I'm not watching the glory yet I'm saving that for when I have uh more emotional fortitude <laughs> um but I hear it's really good I'm excited to watch that whenever my my heart and mind feel up for it. Okay, bye guys. I, I did it again. Oh my god, this is so long. I'm sorry. And that's all. Thank you for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find us on Instagram at Dramas Overflowers underscore. You can find our website at dramasoverflowers.net. And you can subscribe to our newsletter. Just click the link in the description. And Dramas Overflowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Bye.